the Bad Batch. Are you guys watching it? Because I did, and I have I have plans. Well, let me first welcome our listeners to the latest episode of the Harmonica Brothers Variety Show. But uh, to answer your question, um, well, yeah, I've seen the first three episodes. I did not see uh, today's yet. But, you know, and I, I said this to, to you guys on Tuesday um, prior to my watching the third episode. And I was like, I don't know if this is a show that I would, you know, be that concerned, you know, about seeing every episode of mm-hmm. um you know there might be some filler in, and i i think maybe episode two kind of falls into that category of maybe a little bit of a uh, filler but after after the third episode i'm like i'm really getting into this i mean they went dark with um um uh, crosshair uh and and he's ordering uh those those new recruits to actually um k- k- kill those 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 villagers who are or those um those people that were with Saw, Saw Gerrera. I mean, usually the Empire is just kind of like blah, ha, 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 evil. So it was interesting seeing for the first time somebody actually like like a stormtrooper or like a proto-stormtrooper actually refused to carry out these kind of orders. Um, and so if they continue to kind of explore that, that, that's interesting. It almost kind of reminded me of like when you watch movies about the Nazis. Like you always get the sense that Nazis are evil, because but you're always on like on high, you know? It's always a strike team that wants to kill Heydrich or Hitler or Goebbels right. or, uh, you know, uh, Mengele or any, any of the other, you know, real true villains of that. But like, you really get a sense of like the villainy when you watch a movie of like, like, uh, the boy in the striped pajamas, right? Like you mm-hmm. really get a sense of that. And I think like, this was sort of of that scale, like it's ground, it's, it grounds it in something very real, something very realistic. And it's, it is easily the darkest five minutes of, of Star Wars ever. Darker than Youngling Slaughter or, or Sand People Slaughter? This is the thing. No, this yes. is- I would argue yes, because younglings are, I, younglings are tantamount to child soldiers. Right? And I'm not saying their, their deaths Ooh, are- That's are, a push, dude. I'm not saying their deaths are justified or in any way like good or understandable, but- but you're saying by that accepting helps. being Jedi, they're they're accepting no, their position. No, I'm not. I'm not. But by but that whole thing is 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 sort is meant to portray the descent of a hero into a superhero into being a supervillain, right? And with this is Crosshair and the the that first wave of stormtroopers, that first squad, it really feels more to me like a um, if it, it just feels more grounded because. No one remembers will remember Crosshair's name, right? No one will remember any. We don't know any of their names, but it still happened, and it's still gonna. It still sets the tone for, I think, like the kind of era that they are ushering in that year. That was nineteen years of the Empire. Well, um, and 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 this was the thing because yeah, like like you brought up, Anakin kills younglings, and then of course, I mean, darkest you, you could maybe argue is. Uh, the destruction of Alderaan, but it's these things are kind of just treated as like things that happen and then they move on. Whereas there, there really felt like there was real weight to what happened in this scene in episode three. And I would be very interested to see if, let's say, at the end of season one, they managed to save Crosshair and they managed to, you know, deactivate his chip, what have you. You know, is he going to be carrying? with him the things that he's done kind of, cause he's, he's kind of a victim too. He's not doing these things by choice, right? They forced him to do these things because of the inhibitor chip. So will there be kind of a redemption story or him trying to atone for these kind of things if they, they are to save him, you know, at some point in season one? Yes, I agree with you. I think sort of showing that, but it's also, 
back to the back for me. I want I want to talk more about the squad before we talk about Crosshair because that the fact that it was the guy who was very much like you're the you and the clones are old news like you're unreliable blah 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 all these things like where were you when my world was dying I have a stake in the fate of the galaxy I think it is very much like why people trust or why enlisted enlist, um, soldiers who enlist are better than soldiers who are conscripted right and more reliable because mm -hmm. they're choosing to fight being choosing and, and being made to do something and i think him being the one to basically say this isn't what we signed up for the guy who is saying your time is over i think sort of added some weight some really cool weight to that and then the other three just doing it and not only that but doing it in clone trooper armor right because they haven't changed the stormtrooper armor yet yeah right is i like and it's it is both it is both like aesthetically darker they are in darker armor but then it is a darker moment it is probably like you we saw some like really good trauma stuff good i you know what i mean but like resonant emotional well, trauma stuff. well portrayed well portrayed trauma stuff and like um uh uh, uh of like post-traumatic stress disorder uh and sort of scenes like that and sort of fives is disown descent um into madness almost because no one believes him about yeah. the about mm -hmm. order six and sort of being a metaphor for that for how, sort of how one can descend and die and the source of their like mental health issues being never actually never learned um i think showing it showing something that would actually showing that thing that sticks with you not the actual effect of it sticking with you you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I guess are you also, would that kind of apply to seeing Kanan's backstory in episode one? Like we're actually seeing what set him on his path. Before, we, up to this point, we've only ever really kind of gotten hints at like what his experience was. I mean, we know obviously what Order 66 entailed, but to actually see that happen to his character, I think was pretty powerful. Um, we, when we, when we, when, when Star Wars Rebels came out, I didn't watch it as it came out, but I, did, I watched it before Clone Wars Season 7 came out. We would be watching Star Wars Rebels, and our only realistic, with the exception since Legends was no longer a thing, the our only understanding of Order 66 was came from that one scene in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, and I don't even think most of the sequel trilogy had come out when... Rebels was coming out. I think it, Rebels had finished by then, actually. Rebels, Rebels started before, I think, Force Awakens came out, and it ended before Rise of Skywalker came out. So it's yeah. kind of bridging oh. uh, the theory a little bit. Oh, I agree. I, I think, yes. Like, you're, we, are, we, we saw Kanan not trusting Rex, a character who, through, up until up till the end of what Clone Wars had, what of Clone, Star Wars Clone Wars had come out, Rex was, like, it was a so it was... Anakin and like Obi-Wan at the top. And then right below that, it was Ahsoka and Rex. Yeah. Right. And then Cody and Echo and Fives and Dogma and all the rest. Yeah. So seeing so that. Was their guy. Yeah. Like seeing when he, he was their point of contact, he was the most clony of the clones. He was Commander Rex. And getting to see why Kanan didn't trust him now, you know, when someone who looks mm -hmm. like him, right? There's a wider metaphor about how like, you can feel prejudiced against an entire group of people just because someone who looks like one of them or just because one person who is a member of that group wronged you and sort of has affects your entire worldview about them. There's a wider, there is sort of a deeper message there that 
like I don't think I'm the right person to dive into. But uh, overall, I think the episode three, um, or was that episode two? Yeah, no, it was episode one. It was episode one. That was episode one with Kanan. Episode three was the one with the uh, with the very dark ending. Um, but yeah, I mean, after seeing kind of uh, after seeing episode three, um, I, I'm 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 very interested actually in seeing each episode as it as it came out as it comes out because um, I, I think this could be a really interesting chance to explore, um, you know, what's what's going on with some of these early troops that that have been recruited. What's what's going on with with, with the clones uh, in ways that we haven't seen before. Um, I will say, I will say, I'm kind of disappointed that they brought in this rampart to be the guy who's like in charge of the of the new stormtrooper program and like the, the code cylinders or whatever. Because I think they could have made that could have been Moff Gideon. I'm sensing you were going to say something like that. Like, okay, I think they they established that General Hux in the sequels is his dad started the stormtrooper program. Didn't um, he? I don't. He, or he started he, the he, he he ran he ran an imperial academy. I'm trying to remember because they go into it in the aftermath books. I he was definitely involved in like, you know, the recruitment of troops and the training of troops. But I don't know if he if he started the program. I don't really remember. But yeah, he's another one. Brendel Hux is his name, and they they could totally bring him in. Yeah, Brendel Hux. I think like bringing maybe Rampart dies in like the end of season in year season one, and then like and they and maybe this is sort of like crosshair talks, and it it. it the, the, conclu the conclusion they come to is that enlist stormtroopers who or citizens who choose to enlist are also not good at their job. We need to take these kids when they're children and indoctrinate them because that's what the whole thing in the sequel trilogy is. That's what happened to Finn. Something they could explore in the movies but never did. It didn't necessarily. It didn't make it sound like that was a, a, a widely um, followed practice under under the the days of like the original empire um it's it, it seemed like maybe that was a program he was working on later on but but either way i mean i, I do like that they also brought in that like the Django fett's um uh sample is degrading because that i find it oh, palpatine is so smart and he's gonna but but when it comes to cost he's gonna be like let's scrap this whole program that's responsible for like my coming to power and and all that and we're gonna bring in these recruits who ultimately are just terrible at their job they are stormtroopers are the worst so i like there's there is the cost prohibitive aspect but i'm thinking also another reason they may move from clones is because um assuming that this thing with omega doesn't work out because i'm guessing she's the other kind of clone that they talked about in episode three um, that maybe the sample because Django Fett sample is also degrading. That's another reason why they have to move away from clones because that seems very short sighted of Palpatine and he seems to play the long game. I mean, I don't know. Well, remember Palpatine is, is uh, also, he's like gets people to, he's, he delegates. So it's not all on Palpatine. Yeah. But I feel like this, his, the decision not to keep clones around would come straight from Palpatine. I feel like that's too big a decision to be made by other other people. They can bring him information, but I think ultimately it's going to it, that would be a decision he would make. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I would like as someone who sort of loves that sort of nitty-gritty like the data when it comes to history, when I when I was studying history, like I like to think that if you wanted to sort of dig into it, you could make the argument that a big part of the reason the Empire the Republic was so weakened enough that the separatists were a true threat was sort of their reliance on like bank corporations mm -hmm. and the banking clans. And the clone army was held up by the banking clans and like 
the corporations loan giving loans to uh the republic and you can make the argument that they need to divest because but now no, all the money has controls of the banks that happened in a clone wars episode oh it did yeah right maybe he hasn't quite officially nationalized them and he wants to or it could be very much like a, a, a simple case of we need more soldiers faster because we aren't just we want to pacify I'm sorry, but being a free, like being like Rex and Ahsoka and a small group of commandos working alongside like uh, guerrilla fighters like Saw Gerrera in realistic, like sort of real world war settings, it is much easier to do that than it is to like wash over a landscape and pacify the people, right? You need much mm -hmm. more for that. So you can justify like it can cost. So American and Canadian soldiers are actually a really good example of this. Sorry to put Americans on blast, but. Uh, a Canadian soldier being trained up is probably it, it probably about costs about five to six times more than an American soldier to be trained up to a similar rank, right? Because the training a Canadian soldier goes through is much more intensive. It's much better. The quality of their equipment is better. They are they're just taught and better and better. Um, there's also less less of a pool to recruit from. Yes, there's less of a pool to recruit them. So a clone trooper may cost a thousand credits to train up until they're ready to go into the field. A stormtrooper may cost 10. I want as many soldiers as possible. You're going to go with stormtroopers. It's it's been it was in legends for a very long time. I I'm pretty sure it was canonized too that stormtrooper as an example, stormtrooper armor is inferior to clone trooper armor. Even Rex says so in Rebels. Did not know that. I yeah, that's true he does. I mean, I guess I was just thinking, I mean, you've got this pool of soldiers who will follow orders without question. Yes, it may cost more money, but as, as we've already seen um, in episode three, that may not be the, the, the case with your recruited soldiers. So it just seems kind of short-sighted of Palpatine. But I will say, I think as we learned in, uh, well, I, even in Rebels, they kind of addressed it. Um, Palpatine pulls money out of a lot of projects so he can put it into the Death Star. So it is possible another good that point. He, needs to, he needs to stop spending money on clones because he's building the Death Star. Um, Great point. I think like also you could maybe boil it down to he only needed the clones because he needed Order 66 to happen because the only the Jedi. He only views the Jedi as being a threat to his power. Because yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. you boil it down to that he's a Sith and Sith are prideful and passionate and he thinks he's better and he thinks he's one. But I, as of like the events of the bad batch he thinks he's one yeah yeah all he even in return, now, even in return of the jedi essentially he thinks he's one that's why he doesn't see vader's betrayal coming um mm -hmm. okay. i've been watching i've been watching uh the mighty ducks game changers on uh disney plus here's the thing here's the okay thing. okay bear with me it doesn't suck it's actually pretty good as someone who grew up playing hockey relatively recently uh, but it's a good show because it's not taking itself too seriously. It's doing every, it hasn't done anything wrong. And it's also, it's doing a lot right. Right. In episode six, they brought back a lot of the cast for like a, there was like a, a an event, a gala for the new mighty ducks. Cause the mighty ducks are the bad guys now. Oh, okay. And, did they, uh, um, did they bring back the guy who was on Dawson's Creek and like, he was like the uh, main character. Couldn't make it for filming. Oh, because of okay. But they left the window open. They basically said, like, you never, you know, uh, uh, you basically, he they basically boiled it down to, like, since Gordon Bombay, Emilio Estevez's character, uh, was very much a father figure. And sort of after he stopped coaching hockey and he had to, like, in, which is a whole storyline. 
um, so like sort of a subplot in uh, the show, uh, he stopped talking to Charlie, which, uh, Joshua Jackson's character. Okay. And so they basically said, jo uh, Charlie still hasn't forgiven you. So they're leaving the door open. Um, Sam? Uh, yes. Sam? Yes. Is this Mighty Ducks show Disney's try at making a Cobra Kai? No, it's not. It's really okay. It's you what well, you'd think so, but it's not because I can imagine some of the same um, narrative beats happening in a Mighty Ducks reboot or Mighty Ducks show continuation. Yeah. rather. No, not really. Like, um, I understand where you're why you'd think that, but they I think Emilio Estevez is, is in the show. Like he's in most episodes, but he's like a tertiary character. OK, so he's not like Daniel Son. Yeah, like probably like 20 out of every 25, 27 minutes of every episode. It's all about the kids, right? Okay. Right? Um, yeah, you know, like it's not that hard to learn how to skate. Doesn't do, you that think, long, do you think that Disney missed a chance of creating their own family-friendlier Cobra Kai? And Cobra banking Kai's in pretty, this... Cobra Kai is pretty family-friendly. It's like probably like it's got a lot of like G-rated humor. Um, okay. Like I watched the new episode of... Uh, Cobra, of uh, Cobra Kai of Game Money Dex Game Changers today and episode nine. And it's, it doesn't have a lot of those same, like a lot of Cobra Kai, the show is rooting itself in like trying to recreate that magic of the movie of the first movie, the magic mm -hmm. of which that none of the others ever reached. Right. Yeah. With the Money Ducks movies, the third one was kind of meh, but one and two were great. Second one was much better than number one. And uh, the Mighty Ducks show, I just think it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's light. It's probably not that expensive to make. I think they could probably get like three or four seasons out of it. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and it's killing me. Well, here's he, my question: He plays the blonde, long-haired hockey, like hockey bro in Letterkenny, and this is this is a such this is the most Canadian segment we've ever had. But he's awesome, and he plays the new coach. He's like a former like junior A hockey player, never made it past the minors, and he's so, uh, and he's the coach of the, the the new Mighty Ducks. So here's my question, um, and 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 maybe you've kind of already answered it because you've said that it's a pretty good show. But does it seem like there's a reason for this show to exist beyond just a, a, a like a nostalgia um, feeling or like just a, a cash grab? Because like, oh, people know really? the old. So they're going to like subscribe to this channel, uh, this net, you know, the streaming service, just so they can watch this. Now, is there a reason for it to exist beyond that? Yeah, that's a good question, that's Matt. A good question. Maybe at first, my, the thing is though, it's been thirty, almost thirty years since the first movie came out, and it's making that those kids more central. The cast isn't all white dudes. A lot of white dudes, but not all white dudes, right? It's Minnesota. You know, you can only go so far. But sorry, Minnesota. Um, any any of our five? No, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. It couldn't be. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It cannot be almost thirty years since that movie came out. I don't believe that fact. I think maybe twenty five years, but not thirty, dude. Okay, how how many years do you say it is? Because I'm gonna check this out right now. I'm gonna say I'm gonna play it safe and say twenty five ish. Maybe maybe twenty seven tops. I think the first one came out in ninety two, so I'm going to say twenty nine years. Almost. Yeah, he, Sam is is dead on. It's nineteen ninety two. Yeah, baby. Came out. Yeah. So I I knew I was right. Uh, I think with the show, 
because it was coming when it, after even long after it came out. I started playing hockey in, I think not like playing hockey, not just on the ice. I think my first game was like in January of the first time I was off. I was in practice January two thousand four. Shout out Alan Vipers. Um, and my uh, it was it was so core. It was only ten years removed from or like ten or eleven years removed from the movies coming out. So it felt very present. And by the tail end, like I was on my cell phone, it was, we were, it was high school. It was the mid, it was like mid to the mid 2010s. And when I'm watching it now, I feel very wistful for it. I haven't felt wistful for playing hockey in a very long time. Mm. Right. And like my dad watched the old ones and he felt wistful for when he first started playing hockey 20 years before the movies came out. Right. I think, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's a hockey thing. Because for me, I've all, when I watch sport movies, I love sports movies, even though I'm not a huge like game fan. And you know, I love to go to the game. I love the like the culture of it, but I, I'm not like a nitty gritty on the on the numbers like a lot of guys are fully fully within their rights to be. My I have feelings about hockey, and I have beliefs about hockey, like objectively, in my opinion, that objectively, in my opinion, objectively. Uh, that other sports spaces don't occupy you know what i mean because yeah i've got the same kind of thing i have the the same feelings towards baseball because i played baseball growing up um and and so my relationship with it is different than you know it is with with football or hockey i didn't i never really played hockey um and a lot of times and not just when i'm watching baseball movies but even when i'm watching games on tv it'll kind of take me back to those days when i was a kid and playing baseball and um so i mean i guess ultimately what you're saying is the reason for this to exist is to make you miss your childhood it's a little bit of nostalgia but it's not in that same sort of i'm like we talked about it on our star wars fan expectations episode hashtag throwback and (laughs) Uh, a lot of the Star Wars sequel and prequels were mo- the motivation behind making them was nostalgia mm-hmm. for that pat for the past, and we're gonna make money off of people who are gonna hate these movies, but still gonna drag their kids to them because they they watch Star Wars and they were a kid. Well, unlike those yeah, fans have to indoctrinate their their but whether like, it, whether it's religion or or fan culture, you indoctrinate kids in your life. It, yeah, if the Borg have taught us anything, it's it, that indoctrination is very you important. You have to teach the kids young. You have to bring them into what you believe is good and righteous. With my point with Jesus Christ. <laughs> I went to Jama and he had my sneakers for me. Uh, inside joke. Uh, he, uh, uh, oh God. Allah. <laughs> What was my point? Oh yeah. Uh, yes, but the thing is, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, with the exception of having to probably pay um, Emilio Estevez and I can't remember her name, Laura Lai Gilmore. She plays one of the main the main hockey mom. Um, oh okay, yeah, yeah, I know. Guy, with the exception of their to their um, uh, uh, their paychecks, that's probably this show is probably very low investment, very high reward for Disney. Right. Mm-hmm. And like same with animation. Animation takes a while to make, but it's on the grand scheme of things, it's not nearly as expensive to make as um like the Mandalorian. Wild, the Mandalorian or Falcon Red Soldier or something. Yeah. Like like Modoc just came out too, right? The first episode came out today. I oh, did it? it? Yeah, it came out today. I haven't watched it yet, but like it's the same thing, same thing. It's a little it's a little different. It looks it looks more like robot chicken. Dude, I collected a Modoc miniseries a while back. Just because I was desperate to get something that was offbeat and not a Spider-Man or X-Men book, 
And there were so many laugh out loud moments in it because Modoc is just so Modoc that I will I will actually be watching this show. And maybe and you know what? I'm very curious about AIM. I've always been curious about AIM as an organization in Marvel. Is this this isn't connected to the MCU in any way, right? Because I don't know anything. Has about to be. It. Has to be. Is it? Modoc's a supervillain. I don't think it is. Yeah. No, I, I think it would be because uh, everything has to be connected and everything has to be because that's how you get people to, to watch everything you make is by connecting it and saying, oh, yeah, explanation for this thing is found in this show. Go watch it. Yeah, perhaps. I, I do want to also bring up that they announced another Batman animated series uh, being uh, produced by Bruce Tim, J.J. Abrams, and Matt Reeves. Yeah, um, which uh, Tim's involved, you know, I'm watching it. Um, they released the trailer for Long Halloween Part Two already, and Long Halloween. I read it relatively late for someone who's a really big fan of Batman, and great book, Long Halloween. Everyone should read it. It's a great intro to Batman. I'm really excited for the movie and the fact that they're splitting it into two parts, which is essentially making it a three-hour long movie, which is what Long Halloween mm -hmm. deserves. Um, and I like that it is a detective story, right? Yeah, and I and I really Good. it is almost an entirely new like voice cast, like Mark Hamill. No, I thought they were bringing they brought they got Troy Baker for Joker. I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, like it's not like the it's not like the Jason. It's not like the the Justice League War to present cast. It's also not the like. The Bruce Tim Paul Dini cast. It's not Kevin Conroy, mm. Mark Hamill, and mm. uh, Tim Daly yeah. and everyone else. Um, I have not watched any very much animation other than um, Yasuke, which honestly I don't understand the reviews for that man. It's um, it's a Lashawn Thomas show. So it was a, is this a Lashawn Thomas? It's Thomas, right? Yeah. Um, and that dude, he doesn't do genre anime. His his genre is anime. Like you go in to watch the most anime show possible when you're watching his stuff. It's gonna have swords. It's gonna have badass magic. It's gonna have some chicks that are probably robots or ride a robot or pilot a robot or something. It's gonna have explosions and it's gonna have a brooding hero. That's that's the genre, and I love it. Like about halfway through the second episode, my gripe with Yasuke is really no, is is a structural problem no not a structural problem my mistake it isn't the the aesthetic and story choices the addition of sort of the fantastical beyond like magic right like you're saying something in like 17 in like 1600s 1500s era japan i was expecting something more of a historic on a the scale of a historical epic everyone yeah, was it seems like techno magic uh like the for me it really it doesn't not ruin it really it reduces it makes the the idea of a black guy an, a black african of yasuke's caliber or of his original i can't remember his name off the top of my head his actual name all getting all the way from uh where he likely came from in in ethiopia and northeastern africa all the way down to all the way down and around to japan making it fantastical and techno magic and all that. I feel like it really, it's reductive to the fact that this is a thing that happened like maybe 10 years after um, the beginning of the colonization of the Americas 
or 10 or 20 or 15 or 30 years after like mm -hmm. a little re reductive to that fact i i'm not gonna say it but it reminds me of when white historians say only aliens could have built the pyramids right you're reducing the fact that think crazy shit has been happening throughout history for all of time and this is mm -hmm. one of those times and it's awesome right and this happened and you're choosing to add these techno magical elements which i i don't know it cheap i think it cheapens the narrative i think it cheapens the story you can tell you could have told i will i will add to that and say um well first of all i'll say i'm not surprised that there's fantastical elements in it because so many of these films sorry so many of these animes that uh you know kind of kind of follow samurai that kind of thing they often have some sort of fantastical element to them. I, I can't, I'm, I think I was trying to find one that was, you know, just that would be largely historical recently. And I, I had trouble coming, you know, coming across one. Um, and I'll add to, to your point about it kind of diminishing the narrative. It also makes uh, this show like all of the other kind of samurai shows that I was uh, saying that I, I came across um, and, you know, that all have like demons and monsters and, and magic and that kind of stuff. And it would have been nice to see a show take a different approach. I will say, though, um, on this kind of topic of um, samurai stories, there is this show called Oda Cinnamon Nobunaga, which is basically if Obuna uh, Oda Nobunaga was uh, reincarnated as a Shiba Inu named uh, Cinnamon. Uh, and and a, a lot of the other samurai from the period have also been reincarnated as other dogs that he meets at the dog park. And it's just, like, I haven't watched all of it and it's not the kind of show that I'm like, I got to get back and see the next episode. But yeah. it, was, it was cute. It was funny. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Because as a dog, I'm guessing he's just like, this is so beneath me. And, and I love when, when characters with a lot of dignity have to like schlup around. That's always hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, but I find your critiques of this show very fascinating because I really, I understand the critiques in that it would have, it would have truly been very cool to see a historically accurate anime about this very special person in history. But at the same time, I feel like, is it fair to put that responsibility on this creator who just wants to flex his creativity and his cool designs and not necessarily create a historical masterpiece, but a visual masterpiece? And I, I, I so I, that's where I'm kind of conflicted. That's where I'm a bit torn because uh, when you, when I follow a lot of his, I follow him on Instagram and stuff. And when I go to his page, I'm not expecting that sort of uh, that serious academic tone. I just want to see cool shit. And so that's that's kind of where I think a lot of the fans are, are of the show are coming from, where it's just like, yeah, we knew we were, what we were getting into. You should have known as well. It was a cool shit. Established now, we can definitely establish that there is a trope that this is a trope now. The mm -hmm. the man the man fall the man like escorting the little girl who's somehow some chosen one bullshit, right? Like last yeah. year, chosen one bullshit. Uh, the Bad Batch, chosen one bullshit, um, right? So like, uh, it's a trope, but it's a good trope. It's a good story. It's a good story structure, all that stuff. And one of those structural things that is good about Yasuke is that it, it does have that story at its core. Ultimately, what my sort of 
my gripe maybe boils down to is that the story isn't the story. If it was the story wasn't as good, it would be it would be uh, hidden. Its weaknesses would be hidden by all of this like techno magic craziness. And I think if you don't have those things, as a result, I'm not a I'm not an art I'm not a, a TV writer. I'm not Lashawn Thomas. I fully you know accepting of any criticism as what I'm what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is, you you can rely or you, people end up relying on the flash and hide a weak story. Whether mm. or not, and it makes it look like you're trying to hide a weak story, right? Good example of this is this movie called Gods of Egypt, right? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right? Like because they got all those white people so, playing them, right? Say say it's an ex it's say make it the exact same movie, but you cast actors who could fund them who could be Egyptian, right? They could look Greek, they could look be black, they could be like lighter skin black, they could be Arab, they could like could look like all sorts of things except fucking just not Christian Bale. Or a Scott and a you're thinking of God, you're thinking of Exodus Gods and Kings. Yeah, this is Gerard oh. Butler. They cast a Scott, Gerard Butler, a Dane, Nikolai Husterwald out, and an Australian, Gretchen Thwaites, to play the main the characters, right? Listeners can't see my how far my eyes are rolling back. Yeah, but like if you cast the exact if you cast accurate actors, that movie still sucks. Yeah. Right? And you make Okay, but then then we get Sam, I'm disagreeing with you because we get to the what I'm coming to is the movie itself is a lot of flash, a lot of bright colors, a lot of VFX, a lot of special effects, a lot of stunts. It's a shitty movie. Aside with whitewashing aside, Avatar the Last Airbender or The Last Airbender, which the, a movie that doesn't exist that I never talk about on purpose. If you asked the if you even if you cast it accurately, the movie still sucks. Ultimately, what I'm saying is with Yasuke, you strip away the techno magic, it's still good. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the reverse. You get rid of but the flash, it's still a great show. It's a trope, yeah. but it's a good trope. That's all. And I will continue to challenge this position because I don't know if I, and, and listeners, you can chime in on this, I don't know if I get to put my expectations on maybe the only black anime creator out there and who do we get to say to to black creators in nerd in fandoms make the historically accurate stuff that we want to see or do they get to give us the middle finger and say no i'm just going to do the cool shit i want i don't have any i don't you, i don't owe you a history lesson you want to go read that go read that on your own get somebody else to make it you know, wh where does that fall in? Where where does do those expectations? Fall in? And again, our show ha uh, talks a lot about fan expectations, and I think this is a very perfect example of this. Ultimately, Kai, I I do agree with you. I don't. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you about like Black. He's the only, he's one of the few like Black anime creators, or he's the only one I know of. Um, mm -hmm. I don't watch a lot of anime, to be fair. So there, I'm sure there are plenty more out there. I think the point I'm trying to make is not that I want a history lesson, but I think my point, my not I think my point is that maybe yeah I I don't even know what my point is. You put the techno magic on it, you put the flash on it, and it for me personally, I was going in hoping it would be 
I'd getting I'd be getting a veneer of historicity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not. Yeah, I get it. I'm not coming in hoping it's gonna be like to the word. If it was to the word, it'd be in Japanese, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch it because I couldn't understand it. Right? Like my gripe with it is that it is a good show, but it the techno magic took me out of it to the point where I couldn't keep watching. And that's mm. that's me. I don't have to watch it. You don't need my approval. I'm another white dude, right? Like, <laughs> but my point is. Uh, with all that being said, I think something was, I feel like something was lost, right? That's all I'm saying. I feel like there was an opportunity to make something a little grittier, a little, not grittier, but a little more, I don't know, a little more realistic. That's all. Like I watched, I think that's ultimately why I could get through. It's the only anime I ever finished Vinland Saga. It, right. it is, it is there is not a fantastical element in it, with the exception of being able to fucking swing tree trunks and you know cut people's heads off in one swing. Like I mean, that it's pretty good for history, right? And for yeah. representation of certain things in like eleventh and tenth and eleventh century England and Scandinavia. I mean, not not having watched um, uh, Yasuke yet, like I I can't speak to you know. A lot of the different. I can't, I can't really speak much to the show. I can only say why I've been reluctant to watch it, and why I've been reluctant to watch it is because of these fantastical elements, and it doesn't really sound like something that you know I'm that interested in. But I would say probably, possibly, a reason that it has these fantastical elements is because it actually that probably appeals to more people, and maybe the hope is that by including those kind of elements, it's going to reach a, a wider audience mm -hmm. than if it was, uh, you know, so, you know. To the letter historically accurate you know there might be a lot of people who if it was that way would be like oh this is kind of boring when are like the demons going to show up but yeah back to your original point i don't really think like yeah it's just it's just kind of my opinion it's just our opinion like i i think it's probably it's it's good that the story is out there because now maybe people will be interested in that individual and go back and actually read the mm. uh, you know the actual accounts. So uh, in that respect, it, it's good that it's out there. Um, certainly better than if they didn't make it at all. And I don't really think, especially when you're creating a new property, it's up to you what you want to create. And the people who like it yeah. will like it, and the people who don't don't. It's a little different when you get to things like Star Wars where. You know, certainly if you want to keep a fan base, you have to kind of appeal a little bit to them. But yeah, I don't think the onus is on him. He can make it whatever he wants. And um, yeah. Which is which is why I initially said that the genre of his work is anime itself. He's going to play into the tropes as much as possible because that's where he has a lot of fun. And I think if um, if they do decide to do the serious story, they should do an adaptation of... Um, of Color of Rage, uh, published by Dark Horse, which I'm showing my fellows on on um, on camera, and it is a his it, it is far more historical portrayal of uh, the of a black samurai, and I think that would be a good property to look into for animators. Uh, all right, thanks for joining us on another episode. Please like and subscribe to the podcast.